For those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Adrian Castillo. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Grace Bible Church. Uh, I've been with Grace for about eight years now. And uh, the last two years, I've been serving as uh, the lead pastor for Grace in Español or uh, Somos Grace or the Hillside Campus. Um, I'm the one you left behind. So thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> I'm sure there's, there's enough of you guys that are like, man, I'm sure glad that guy stayed behind. But you know what? Today I'm here with you, so deal with it. All right? Deal with it. <laughs> um, uh, you know, to be, to be quite honest, it, it's been one of the, the most difficult uh, and most challenging experiences that I've, I've had to traverse in, in my faith with God of, of, of coming to Grace Bible Church and growing in so many relationships and establishing so many relationships and through small groups and through friends and, and activities and different things that, that we would do and that I've done to get connected with, with, with so many of you. Uh, one of the hardest things was having to in a sense, almost set that aside and, and, and start something new as we had a heart to reach our Spanish community. Um, it, it, it was for my family and I. It's been something that, that in one sense has been very difficult. But on the other side of that, on the other hand, it's been one of the greatest experiences ever. And so God has surrounded us with the brand new community that continues to grow, that continues to be challenged, shaped, transformed. And, uh, I mean, it's just amazing what God is doing at Hillside. At, at the same time, what God is doing here at San Isidro. And, uh, and the reason I'm introducing myself the way I am is because I look out and I see so many faces that I don't know. Um, and so if, if, um, if that's you... Um, I want to just say uh, thank you for having me, and if you would just give me a little bit of your attention. Uh, you might not like me at the end. You can throw everything else, everything I say away. Uh, but um, I just, uh, I, I pray that God would be in the midst of what we're about to uh, uh, study together and what we're about to talk about here in our series. So that's enough about me. Let's get to the good stuff. Um, we are continuing a series called Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And one of the great things about this series is, is that it's, it's allowing us to be able to go back and read the Old Testament in a different light. I think a lot of times we read the Old Testament and we read through stories and, and uh, we, we, we don't pause to consider how does this, how does this story uh, show me Christ Jesus or, or how is Christ the greater example, the greater fulfillment uh, the greater David, the greater Moses, the greater Noah, the greater Abraham, the greater uh, the, the greater everything, right? Because Christ, we know, is the fulfillment of all things, and Christ is greater than all. Um, and so what this series has allowed us to do as a church is I think it's allowed us to, to, to read the, new, the, the Old Testament with, with the eyes to say, okay, where is Christ? Where can I see Christ in this? And today we're going to continue this journey. Uh, we're going to be doing that in the book in this in the book of Second Samuel, chapter nine, and we'll be reading a story about King David. Now, King David was the second king of Israel. King David was was God's handpicked king, uh, a, a man that God said was after His own heart. Through King David, uh, we have the line of Christ, and so even the genealogy of Christ, or the genealogy of Christ, comes. From King David, so later on, many years when Christ enters the world, the genealogy is important because the Messiah was to come from King David. And so at this point in the Bible, King David has taken his throne. 
Uh, he's taken his throne because God anointed him, and God did away with the previous monarchy because the previous monarchy had disobeyed God, and that was King Saul. So within this, uh, within this story, that's the context with which we, we find ourselves. And uh, before we jump into reading, I want to just give you all the sermon point uh, before we do that. And here it is. It's because I have received God's unfailing kindness through Jesus, I can extend kindness to others with the gospel. You can add there uh, through the gospel, in the gospel. But the, the idea is that we've received something from God. And God expects us to be people who reciprocate that in our relationships and our living with others. And so we have the timeless truth that we've received, unfailing kindness, and then we have the application that we are to show that kindness to others. Let's go ahead and jump into 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. We'll read verse 1, and here's what it says. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Is there still someone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Times back then were a little bit different. Not too different than today, but a little bit different. In the sense that when you established a new monarchy, the practice was is you would do away with the previous monarchy. And when I say you do away... I mean, you do away. There can't be anyone left of the previous family to be able to usurp the throne or take the throne. If, if, if you did leave someone, well, then they were next in line. So you had to take care of everyone and wipe everyone out. And so it's interesting that years after David takes his throne, he poses this question, is there, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And for Jonathan's sake, I want you all to hold on to that phrase for the remainder of the sermon because everything we, we see in the rest of the text will be based off of this phrase uh, that, that, that David says, for Jonathan's sake. And in order to understand this, we have to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 15 through 17. And uh, at this point, the person, Jonathan, whom David says, I need to show someone kindness for his sake, uh, is, is having a conversation with David, and Jonathan is actually trying to save David from his own dad. Jonathan is King Saul's son. And Jonathan is next in line for the throne. But in the midst of his life, in the midst of serving his dad and seeing David and seeing what God was doing through David, Jonathan formed a very, uh, a very great relationship with King David and Dave, with David at that time. And they became as close as brothers. And at the very end, David goes to Jonathan and says, why does your dad seek to kill me? What have I done against him? I won't lift my hand against him. And Jonathan says, that's not what my dad is trying to do. David says he is. So then Jonathan says, hey, look, here, I'll prove it to you. And if you can go back to this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and see what he tells him to do. But at the end of it all, Jonathan recognizes something. And he recognizes that David is next in line to be king. And in doing so, he makes a pact and a covenant with David and says this, and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off 
uh, every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And in Jonathan saying that, Jonathan is not only recognizing that God was going to protect David, but, but hear me, church. He's recognizing that God would protect David from Jonathan's own dad, which is Saul, because Saul was his enemy. So Jonathan was being loyal to David, but more importantly, he was being loyal to God's sovereignty in the life of David and even in the life of his dad. And so as we keep reading, it says, and Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. And he made him, and it, yeah, so let me just go back. There we go, verse 16. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's what? Enemies. Verse 17. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So why do I go back to give you this? Well, because this is the basis of what we're about to read that David does for another person. This is the foundation of that. And as we read in, in verse 1, there's a word kindness. Well, that word is a Hebrew word called hesed, or that's hesed. And here in this text, too, with, with Jonathan and David, hesed is present as well. It says, do not remove your steadfast love. That's hesed. So David is using the same word to, uh, to seek out someone to be kind to as Jonathan used in making a covenant with David. And what does hesed mean? Well, hesed means loyal love, unfailing kindness, devotion, uh, a love or affection that is steadfast based on a prior relationship. And so uh, what we're going to focus on and what, what most authors and commentators would, would say this means for this section is unfailing kindness. Unfailing kindness. And so what we're about to read, what's about to be developed in this reading, in this text, is based off of an unfailing love David had for Jonathan. Let's keep reading. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2 says, Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Again, Hesed. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's, he is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Makar. That's what I'm going to call him. The son of Amuel, and then that other name. Verse 5. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Michar, the son of Amuel and Lodabar. I said it that time. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Verses 7 and 8 says, And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness, again, Hesed, for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you would show regard for a dead dog? Such is I. Such is I. The beauty in this story is you have David, almost like an image of God the Father. You have David who is willing to receive someone into his own house, who's willing to bring him in. He's willing to seek him out. And, and church, let, let, me, let me paint a clear picture if you didn't catch it the first time. Uh, this would have been David's enemy. 
not friend. Politically, this was his enemy. But David says, for the sake of Jonathan, I will show him kindness. And he brings him in and he welcomes him. So much so that Mephibosheth says, who am I? Who am I? Now, the, the one thing that I want to draw out of this for you is, is the idea that Mephibosheth would come to David and throw himself on the ground and pay homage. I mean, most of us would read it and we would say, well, the reason he does so is because he's crippled and he's probably af afraid for his life. That may be true. But if what we see about the person Jonathan in the stories in 1 Samuel are true, I would argue and I would suggest to you that Mephibosheth is simply showing what his father uh, Jonathan had taught him. And what Jonathan had taught him was that God's plan is God's plan. God's sovereignty is God's sovereignty. And the throne won't be mine. It's going to be King David's. And we need to respect that and submit ourselves to that. And, and my question for us today is, what kind of story are you writing with your own life? When people look back at your life, when your kids look back at what dad taught them, at what mom taught them, what will be the greatest teaching you ever gave them? Because if Jonathan's teaching to Mephibosheth was to be, to be uh, loyal to the plans of God and not be loyal to the family throne, man, that's, that's a big deal. Can you imagine that? Think of the, the biggest inheritance you could receive, yet you're willing to let that go. You're willing to let that go because God has asked you to. So what are you writing? You know, fathers, I think one of the things we pride ourselves in is we like to teach our kids to play sports. We like to teach our kids to fish. We like Here in Laredo, we like to teach our kids to hunt like to teach our kids to provide for their families, to be responsible young men, hardworking young men. And you know what? We take pride in that, don't we? But where's our pride in teaching them the word of God? See, what's of greatest importance for our kids is the one thing we're unwilling to give. Either because we're lazy about our own spiritual life or we don't understand the significance of for the sake of. What about mothers? Oh, ladies, I'm going to leave you out today. You see, we live in a Hispanic culture, Hispanic community. One of the greatest things about our Hispanic community is, is family. But I think a lot of times in our own culture, uh, mothers, what we tend to communicate to our kids I was one of them. What we tend to communicate to our kids is loyalty to me is more important than loyalty to him. You see, the thing is, is that Jonathan and Mephibosheth had a decision to make. Are we loyal to the throne and to the family or are we loyal to God? When your kids look back on your life, what will they say you taught them to be loyal to? Will it be the gospel or will it be your gospel, your way? We, those are heart questions that we have to make within our own lives. Those are, those are uh, challenges we have to take upon ourselves in order to see, is Christ Jesus really the most important thing to me? Because if we do everything as though we would do it unto Christ Jesus, if, every, if everything we do is meant to honor and glorify God, then why wouldn't he be the top of our priority in what, 
we want to communicate to the next generation. So are we being like Jonathan? Are we being like Ziba? Ziba was a very selfish guy. Think about it. Ziba was just a servant in Saul's house. But we're about to find out where Ziba really was sitting. Ziba was, was, was sitting pretty large. He was sitting pretty, pretty hefty. And the reason is, is because no one was there to take the land of Saul. So guess who took it? Ziba. And guess who didn't tell King David and didn't make mention that there was someone from the house of Saul? Ziba. So for about 13 or 14 years, Ziba was using all of that, all of those resources, all of that land for himself. Let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. It says, Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and all and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to what? To eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. He, he had a lot of people. And then it says, then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Israel and he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. You know, later on, we can get a glimpse at the type of person Ziba was because later on when he gets the chance, he tries to separate. He tries to create division between King David and, uh, and, and Mephibosheth. You can go and read that. That's later on in 2 Samuel, but it's really interesting to see that because he was living large knowing that someone else should have been living large and he was being selfish with it. But here's the thing is for the sake of Jonathan, for the sake of Jonathan, David was willing not only to bring in Mephibosheth, but to give Mephibosheth a seat at the table. At this, a seat at his own table. Church, who of your enemies have you invited to your table? Man, that's, that's, a, that's a heavy question. But here, here, let, 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 me, let me make it a little bit easier. Who from your own family right now are you not inviting to the table because you're at odds? Who of your own friends do you not invite to the table because they believe, they, they, they believe contrary to your politics? Who of our neighbors, who, who have we recently invited to the table to say, hey, God has extended some kindness to me. Let me extend it to you. That's essentially what David is saying. God gave me this kingdom and God can take away this kingdom. But while I have it, I will do his bidding. I will do his will and I will live for him. Every single one of us who are believers have been called to the table. We have a seat because God has adopted us through Christ Jesus himself. And who are we to not want to show that type of kindness to anyone else? Who are we to withhold a kindness that we didn't deserve? If you deserved God's kindness then you're not understanding the gospel. Because the gospel tells us that we're all broken people. We've all sinned against Christ. And as a matter of fact, we were all standing at the cross saying, crucify him because of our own sin. So we don't deserve his kindness, but he gives it to us. 
There's a word in scripture that we like to use. It's the name of the church, grace, unmerited favor. If you've received God's unfailing kindness through favor, through grace, unmerited favor, then how is it that you hold people to a standard God doesn't even hold you to? We have to be in a time of hate, in a time of division. We have to be the example of God's unfailing love through Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean we push away truth, but because, because without truth, there's no love, and without love, there's no truth. So they live together, they coexist together. You can't separate them. We are called church, especially within the church, to be those who show kindness to one another. You see, where is Christ in this story? Uh, it, it would be very easy for us to look at David and say, well, David is the Christological, per he's, he's the example of Christ here in this story as we've been doing. But I, I'm going to argue that we more, we, we most see Christ Jesus in the very covenant that God made with Jonathan. Because Jonathan was willing to let go of the throne that might be his. He was willing to let go of his kingdom. He was willing to let go of, of his armor. He was willing to put that on David. He was willing to allow David to take the throne, take the inheritance, take the land, take everything as king of Israel. Jonathan was willing to give everything up to pursue and to be a loyal, obedient servant of God and showing unfailing kindness toward David. And because of that, we have this great covenant. And because of this great covenant, an of David was able to come to the table. And see, we have a greater covenant nowadays, and that greater covenant is in Christ Jesus. When you go to Matthew chapter 26, we celebrated communion a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. But it, it, the author says this, says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread after blessing he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is, my this is my body. And we had taken a cup and given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of what? Of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for what? Forgiveness of sins. Church. You know why God continues to call his people from the ends of the earth, from every nation, from every tongue, from every social class? You know why he continues to call people to himself? He does it for the sake of Christ because in his son we have a new covenant. Because his son was willing to come to this world and be the perfect person according to the law. Not only be the perfect person in obedience, but also being the perfect high priest in the law. And he not only became the high priest of the law, but he also became the very sacrifice the law determined and needed for the forgiveness of our sins. And thank God that now we can read the book of Hebrews and we understand that the sacrifice of Christ was once and for all. There's no need to re-sacrifice him or re-sacrifice him again and again and again and again. It was once and for all. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews says that our high priest is seated at the right hand of God, meaning there's no more work to be done. The covenant has been established. This covenant will not be broken. And the only reason you and I get a seat at the table is because God has done so for the sake 
of Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a passage, and I love it. It's uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to read this together because I want to point out and emphasize how God does this through his son Jesus. It said, this is verse 3 through 14, says, let's read this together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he proposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of the gospel or the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his what? His glory in him, through him, in him, through him. See, religion teaches that one day, hopefully, you'll make it to heaven because you were good enough. The gospel teaches one day, not hopefully, one day we will make it to heaven because he was good enough. See, the gospel is if we put our faith in Christ, if we truly trust with all our heart that what he did on the cross is sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins and sufficient to give us eternal life, when we come to that faith, God calls us his own. When we come to that faith, God adopts us as his sons and daughters. When we come to that faith, not only does he adopt us as his sons and daughters, but he he places his very spirit within us so that we would never be alone in this world. Jesus said that the world would know, and he prayed that the world would know that we were sent by him, that, 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 that the world would know that we are his through our love and unity. As the world could see and as we could come to understand Jesus' Jesus' love for the Father and the Father's love for Christ and their unity, that the body, the church, that we could love one another in the exact same way and through that the world will know. Church, the world isn't going to know God through our perfection. It's going to know God through our hesed, unfailing love for one another and for him. 
So my question to you today as we wrap up this sermon is how are you leading in your own life? How are you writing your own story? Would your life be one that people could look at, that your kids could look back on and your grandchildren can hear of and say, man, grandma loved God so much. He ta she taught us to love him even above her. Man, dad loved God so much that every moment he got to teach me to do the things he loved to do, to teach me his own hobbies, he would also teach me the word of God. He also led me to the very heart of Christ. And in doing so, will we then form a new culture and a new generation and within our own church and culture? Or could we form a church that says we are going to show unfailing kindness to all? Because God is calling them from everywhere. I don't know if you know this. But the Sunday before we opened, we were averaging about 700 people. 800 people in English and Spanish. Then we moved and y'all forsaked me. But God doesn't forsake me. <laughs> and in one Sunday, church, this is not a lie. We are probably 14 to 1,500 people from two campuses. And listen, we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different ideas, different philosophies, or different religions. We even come from different families that, that are really loyal to one another. One of the greatest things that anyone can say about our church is that when they come, they feel loved and welcome. But the greatest thing is that they heard the truth. But our love and our welcoming to them is important. I know this is new, and I know sometimes it feels like someone is taking over your house. I had a conversation with a few people who, who shared that sentiment. We opened up, and there was, I don't know, 13, 1,400 people here the first Sunday, and they're like, man, I don't know what to feel. I just feel like people are invading my home. Well, that's not something to reject. That's something to welcome. That was the very vision of this project. Preparing a place for others. And now we got another congregation done in Hillside. It's growing every week because Grace Bible Church was willing to give. Was willing to have a vision that was bigger than themselves. And even if it made us uncomfortable, we were willing to do it. But church, I'm asking you, don't lose that. That's what makes the church and the body of Christ so special. Don't lose that heart for the gospel and that, lo that don't lose that heart to reach others. And who cares if one day you're going to have to give up your seat? Who cares? That's someone else who's getting a seat at an eternal table with our eternal Father. So if I lose my seat again, so be it. Because it's not about me, it's about Him. It's about His unfailing love toward me and our unfailing love toward one another and towards God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. 
We thank you for being so good and so full of love toward us. Father, I really just pray that our hearts could be an example of the very heart that you show toward us through, through your love toward your son Jesus and for the sake of Christ. Let us show unfailing kindness to other brothers and sisters and those that you're calling to yourself and let us be an example of love to a world filled with hate. Thank you and pray this in Jesus' name.